delicious This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page The love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these dead walls all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love person out of every scene We're gonna fill our house with happiness We're gonna smother the fools with tenderness There's room for you, room for me For gentle hearts and opportunity It's a bigger love for the Welcome back to our series, Family Matters. We are wrapping up today with a panel discussion, answering your questions that you've sent in about your own family matters. So let's introduce our panel here today. Uh, we're blessed to have Jordan Bourne Nelson, who is the pastor of Foundations Church, who's joining us. Jordan, good to have you with us. Uh, some of you may realize that, that Jordan looks familiar. That's because Pastor Dale introduced him to us uh, back in January and talked about how we're going to be doing some partnership with you guys and your church. And Jordan, uh, you've been helping out a lot with our Loring Park Campus. I know you guys have been teaming up with Outreach in the City, and you join our pastoral staff meeting on a regular basis. So uh, good to have you on this panel. Jordan, tell us a little bit about your family. Um, you know, um, I love my family. Um, I have a beautiful wife, Nisa Bournelson. Uh, we've been married seven years this November. We have five kids. Um, just had a brand new beautiful baby, Baby Joy, um, June 10th. So it's just been amazing watching the kids grow, raising them, um, and just doing life with my wife and my kids. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Well, welcome. And uh, Pastor Heather is joining us. Pastor Heather, you're coming up on 25 years of ministry True. here at Wooddale. You oversee our uh, middle school and junior high programs yep. uh, here at the church. Tell us about your family. Yeah, well, Chad and I live in Eden Prairie. We have a fenced-in backyard, which is super important because we have two St. Bernards that collectively weigh 315 pounds on any given day. So that's our family, and we love it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, Anna Rask is joining us. Anna, you have been a member here at Wooddale. You grew up, really, at Wooddale Church. And yeah, uh, um, we're, we're thankful for you to be part of this panel. Uh, you teach biblical studies at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, yep. working on doctoral program right now yeah. uh, in theology and biblical studies. Tell us about, uh, about your family. Yeah, I'm the youngest of three kids. My parents still attend here at Wooddale and recently engaged, so adding someone to my own family, uh, Five and a half months to go. So yeah, that's we great. Married. That's great. And, we, and we, we're so thankful for your perspective because you kind of have uh, like a foot, you know, coming out of, of being single and, and moving into to yeah. that married relationship. Yeah. And uh, this is going to be just a great, a great addition. Uh, Pastor Ken Castor is joining us on our panel as well. Uh, Pastor Ken, you oversee family ministries, next gen programming here at, uh, at Wooddale. Tell us about your family. Kyle, Kathy, and I have been married 27 years. We've got three kids. Uh, oldest is 22. The youngest is 15, learning how to drive. Adoption is a part of our family dynamic, and we also have a python named Monty. Which is why I will never be over for dinner at your house. So you can come to my place. We'll, in, but, we'll uh, invite you over and over. Yeah, but. I, I don't know. The snakes, I'm not, I don't know. But, uh, but Ken, thanks for being here. Grateful to, to have you here. 
so we're going to dive into uh, a number of questions that came in throughout this series. And actually, I, I want to start by talking uh, about one. And really, this is important because at Wooddale, we are a family. We're, we're, a, we're a church family. And sometimes families need to have open and transparent conversations. And uh, a couple of you sent in some questions specifically about the little video that plays right before the messages throughout this series. And uh, one of the, the people in, just kind of put it really well. They said, hey, Family Matters was a really important TV show in the 90s that highlighted uh, black families and brought them into primetime TV. And that video that plays before the messages is a little white. And what's up with that? And I just want to say, hey, that's a fair question. And uh, I appreciate the, the, the question coming in about that and the conversations that people have had with me about it. And I want to let you know that when our team stepped back to create this series, it was really important for us to think about how all the different ways of family are represented. Uh, thinking about uh, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and even friends who really become like family because all of us are invited to be part of the family of God. And unfortunately, that video didn't represent the ethnic diversity that we know is true about God's family and really is even true of, of the growing diversity here at Wooddale. So that was our bad. We can do better. And so if you saw that and thought, I think they missed something, we saw it too, and we're going to be more attentive to that in the future. So important for us as a family to, to say that uh, as we begin. Uh, we're going to now kind of turn our attention here to some of the family matter questions that you sent in. And uh, we began the series talking about marriage. Jordan, I want to bring you in first here. Uh, kind of a classic question. Uh, does God have one person in mind, uh, like a soulmate, right? Is there only one person uh, that, uh, that God has for me to marry? So, uh, Jordan, what do you say about that? You know, um, before I answer that, I just want to say it's, it's a blessing to be on a panel, and a panel that talks about family. Um, and a panel to be at a church like Wooddale, and it's not just about race. Racism is important. It's an important topic. And with Kyle mentioning the things in the video, I think it's a, a great step. Um, and it's just good to not be on the panel where, hey, let's talk about race. Let's talk about culture. Let's talk about color. But we're talking family because that's how we build bonds and we build bridges when we just get to know each other. So I think this is a blessing. Um, and now to that question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, I get that question all the time. Um, and I'm going to be honest. It's not just from women. It's from men, too. Women say soulmate. Men say, man, I need to find the one. Who is that girl for me? Yeah. Um, and the reality is um, I don't think God has a soulmate for us. Um, there's no biblical background or standing that says God has a specific soulmate. But the Bible does teach us we're married to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. So one thing I always tell people is if you read Ephesians, where Paul illustrates the church um, in the relationship with Christ, he illustrates a marriage. If you look at the Bible, God wanted to continuously be married to his people all throughout the Bible. And Jesus now has brought that in full circle. And I would say when we think God has a soulmate or he ordained a marriage, I mean, let's think about it. Joseph and Mary. That probably wasn't Joseph's ideal way of going into a marriage <laughs> yeah, right. with a woman who's pregnant, who's a virgin, right? Hosea, God told him to marry a woman who would be unfaithful to him. Mm -hmm. That probably wasn't his idea of a marriage. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Abraham and Sarai, that probably wasn't ideal of them to have a baby when he's 100 and she's 90 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, like, what do you mean, God? We want kids when we're young, not old. <laughs> so I just think when we look at marriage, 
Um, think of us being married to Jesus. Um, we can be compatible with other people, um, but that doesn't mean they're our soulmate. And I truly believe when we recognize our marriages to Christ, then we find those compatibilities with someone else, and that helps us to move forward with who we're going to spend the rest of our life with. Yeah, that's good. And, and I want to get your perspective on this. I mean, just you know, recently becoming engaged and, um, you know, even, you know, what does the Bible even say about soulmate? Yeah. Really, to echo off of Jordan's statements there, I, I do think we can have compatibility with a lot of people. Um, I mean, those who remarry obviously find compatibility with someone else. But in terms of the, the word soulmate, I would just ask that you avoid using that word. It's just it's not in the Bible. Uh, but this topic does also bring up a challenging conversation regarding divine sovereignty which uh, versus human responsibility. Uh, I know God is sovereign and he is in control, so I would say yes, he knew exactly who I would marry, but he didn't just drop my fiance off at my doorstep with this blinking sign saying, this is your future husband. Uh, we, we had to put ourselves out there. We had to meet people and f determine compatibility. Uh, as humans, we walk through life making decisions, and as Christians, we need to bring God into those decisions. And He's given us wisdom for what to look for in the spouse. Uh, first and foremost, someone who follows Jesus. And at some point, people in their lives are going to have to make a choice who they will marry and who they will not marry. And they can make informed decisions, they can seek wise counsel, they can read helpful resources, talk to God about it. Uh, but at some time, they'll have to choose. So I would say if you're single and you're wanting to get married, I encourage you to, with God's help, work on becoming someone another Christian would want to marry. And married or not, we should all be uh, maturing and becoming more Christ-like. Now, we're all single at some point in our lives. Uh, singles are not second-class citizens. And Paul actually wishes that everyone was uh, single like him. In 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about uh, how being single allows for an undivided heart. That means you can fully focus on the Lord, fully focus on his, his work and how to please him. And that's something I tried to do in my singleness is I tried to be very intentional about uh, working for the Lord in ministry. So yeah. there's blessings uh, and difficulties in singleness and marriage, and we as the body of Christ need to be there for people who are of both statuses. Yeah, Anna, that's really well said. Yeah, appreciate that, the perspective, that call to faithfulness. Can I want to transition talk about parenting here for a little bit. So uh, question two that came in uh, was, was a great question. How do I respond in a God-honoring way when my child backtalks or disrespects me? And... Uh, <laughs> We've, we've had some experience with that. So what, what do you say? Uh, well, I never backtalk to my parents, so I can't relate to this. And I've never had a child backtalk to me. No, um, this is a really good question. It's a really big question. Uh, the fifth commandment of the ten is to honor your father and mother. So it's actually really important to the Lord. It, he lists it before he lists do not murder. So it's the first social law that God has and, and how we relate to others. So respecting your mom and dad. And so it is really important. The word discipline is fascinating to me because it, it really means to learn. So when we discipline a child, our goal isn't to punish them for backtalking. Our goal is to help them to learn, hey, this isn't how you treat other people. This isn't how you love your neighbor. And your first neighbor in many ways is your mom and dad. So you learn how to love them by your parents disciplining you and helping you learn. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a learner of Jesus. No matter what age you are, you're a learner of Jesus. So you learn who he is and what he's all about and what matters to him. And so the same is true 
in the disciplining of a child. You want them to learn who God is and what God is all about and how to follow God's patterns. So the first discipline, though, isn't actually on the child. The first discipline is on the parent. Good. And, and if the child needs to learn not to backtalk to their parent, then it's up to the parents to not backtalk to one another or even backtalk to the kids mm -hmm. or backtalk to anybody else. They're, they're to model in a disciplined way not to backtalk. So dads, uh, dads, I have a special message for you. If you don't want your son backtalking to his mom, then you need to model a lifestyle where you're never backtalking to your wife. You're never disrespecting your wife. So the first discipline is always actually on the parent to model a learning of God's patterns. Yeah, that's really yeah. good, Ken. And I, I would just point out and, and add that, you know, occasionally parents will say, gosh, it, it feels self-serving to tell my kids they need to honor <laughs> me. Uh, we, we actually had someone that asked that question. And I would just say what you describe is the answer to that. Uh, it's, it's when you have multiple parents and, and you can insist that how they treat, you know, their, their mom or their dad um, is, is, in a, is an honoring way. That was modeled for me growing up. Uh, my dad, whenever it came to, to talking with me or, or, or trying to, uh, to discipline me, was insistent that I treated my mom with respect mm -hmm. and honor. And it, it was maddening to me growing up because he never wanted to talk about the issue. He only wanted to talk about how I treated my mom. And, uh, and understanding now what he was doing, he was modeling for me this insistence that how you treat her is more important than even what the, the topic was. Yeah, how did he discipline you, if so, you ever talked back? So, so, one, so in seventh grade one time, he literally made me write a three-page research paper on how, why I need to honor my mom. And he edited it and then had me present it to my mom. I never forgot that. Uh, so, but uh, uh, Heather, I, I want to bring you into the, the idea of discipline uh, because one of the questions that came in, uh, th th this is kind of a fun little statement. It said, hey, my son's now in high school and he's taller than I am. Uh, he's becoming more independent. And here, here comes the question. My method of discipline that I used when my child was younger doesn't work any longer. What do I do? Yeah. Well, first, let me say that uh, a change in size and a need for independence are not only not normal, but they're actually needed, right? So we all have, um, especially teenage boys in our lives, that are nearly unrecognizable when we see them three months um, into adolescence right. because, you know, shoe size and pant length and facial hair and voice change, I mean, it's all there. But I also think of the independence piece, right? Um, every child moves from dependence to independence through adolescence, and it's needed. Because if it didn't happen, we'd have 35-year-olds living in our basement, you know, playing video games, eating us out of house and home. So it needs to happen. But what I'm hearing from this parent, what I hear from so many parents is that causes a point of tension when it comes to discipline. So let me just say, biblically speaking, um, for the parents, um, it might be challenging for you and certainly more challenging than it used to be when they were younger, but it's still your responsibility and it's your God-given responsibility. So um, I think of Hebrews 12, 11, where it's actually talking about God disciplining us. It says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful. <laughs> and not, I think, just for the parent, but for the kid as well. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of peace and righteousness for those who are trained by it. So parents, I know it's hard, but it is what is needed, and it's what is called on you by God. And if if the son happens to be listening, <laughs> son, let me talk to you for a second. Uh, Ken mentioned it. 
the classic commandment from God to honor your father and mother. Not only is it the first social commandment, it's the only one that has a promise with it. And I know that teenagers often need a carrot at the end of the stick. So son, if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you in the land. There will be benefit and reward to that. And there's no disclaimer on age. There's no disclaimer on how your parents are treating you. It is to honor your father and mother. So Practically speaking, um, I think for parents, if your kid's 17 years old, I think you've got to reevaluate um, curfew. You got to reevaluate, you know, bedtime, screen time, all that. Because if it's not different than when he was 15, there's something wrong there. And you are raising an adult; you're not raising a child. And so there might be some things that you have to let go of. And maybe the guideline goes away, and you let the child fail, maybe if he needs to. Um, and then I would say if the old ways of discipline are not working, then um, what does cause some temporary pain? <laughs> is it you know not being able to use the car anymore? Is it helping to pay for insurance? Is it meeting with your youth pastor and having to have a strict conversation? Like, what is it? But it might be different than it is. But here's what I know. Um, your son needs you, needs your guidance, needs your direction and it is important and it is good, so I empower you mm. to do just that. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Jordan, uh, what are the thoughts you have on, on that? You know, um, Heather brought up independence, um, and I think as kids get older, they need more of that, and in the need for that independence is also the wanting of a parent to still be there, to still be the one that answers all of their questions or catches them when they fall. Um, and I also think of the Bible of discipline where sometimes we have to let them fail. Um, God has given us a free will, even as believers, and every time we fail, what do we do? We go back to him. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, I made this mistake. And I think the older our kids get, yeah. and in building that independence, our kids need to know that, hey, you can fail, and I'm going to be right here for you every time you do. If it's a big thing, then yeah, we as parents intervene. But a lot of times, I think, from just talking with people and even working with teenagers for so many years, the parents try to intervene on every failure. And it's like, I wish I could talk to that parent, you know, because I would tell them, hey, look, your kid was late to school, okay? Talk to them and then just let it be. And they'll learn, oh, wait, mom, dad, I was late to school six times and now I have an absent and they're saying that I'm going to get a D. Well, I told you, you need to drive to school on time. And I think kids will learn through that failure, especially young men. Young men want to learn and grow and we're hard-headed, right? We're not always the softest head. So we need to sometimes learn through failure. So I would encourage that parent, let them fail. And to the kid, respect and honor your parent. And when it's something big, bring it to them. That's good, man. That's really good. Yeah. Um, we want to talk about uh, how we honor our parents uh, in a season of mistreatment. So uh, that, that's the next question. How do you honor your parents when they've mistreated you? And, and let me just give a little bit of setup for this. We had a question that came in uh, that really just, just touched our hearts. Uh, so Anna, we're going to go to you first on this, but it's, here's the situation. It said, my mom and dad and, and I divorced when I was 15 years old. Uh, my dad just walked out on us with no thought or remorse and the last 20 years, there really has been nothing. Uh, no idea where he is. And this person said, I ask myself all the time, you know, why? How can a father just walk out the door and not seem to care for, uh, for their children and think that that's okay? Uh, and this person goes on to say, I have forgiven my dad for this and still do love him, but would love the thoughts from the panel and the pastors. So, uh, Anna, let's start with you. 
Yeah, I just first want to say who submitted that question, I applaud your love and your forgiveness. That is not easy. So well done on that. Uh, we've talked about we are commanded to honor our father and mothers, but I suspect it is very difficult to do so when a father has known him has not shown himself to be very honorable. Uh, I found a quote that I, I'm hoping can uh, provide some light to this. Uh, Megan Butcher writes, when we honor our families, it's a direct reflection of how God loves us, often dysfunctional and broken. He loves us, and we honor our parents by releasing judgment for their behavior to our just God, who defends and protects us with mercy and compassion. So I would say that this father uh, in the question uh, is an example of the sinful human condition on display. What he did was not right, and it's okay to affirm that. God does take sin seriously. The good news is we have an honorable heavenly father that will never leave us or forsake us. And although the question of why something happened is the most understandable question to ask, I would encourage all of us to not fixate on why bad things happen, because honestly, we may never find out the side of eternity. And there are examples uh, in scripture of people never finding out why things, bad things happen to them. Job is probably a classic example of that. He endures immeasurable suffering and never figures out why. Uh, and it wasn't because he did something wrong. We as the reader learns, learn that. God was testing him, but God never tells him that. Uh, what God does tell Job is that he loves him and that he can be trusted. And so that's my answer to you and to all of us in times of difficulty. God loves you and he is trustworthy. And in times of suffering, I would actually encourage all of us to go to the book of Psalms. There's a variety of lament Psalms where the authors cry out to God in their times of suffering. And we see that God gives us the categories for us to tell him how we feel. He as God feels too. We might not understand why we're suffering, but he's there with us in the suffering. Oh man, Anna, that's, that's fantastic. Jordan, what other insights do you have? You know, that's really good, really good. God is with us in suffering. And, you know, this question was, you know, touching for me because um, I think I had to learn this um, just dealing with parents. And we all have our parental struggles. Um, I've worked with teenagers. I've worked with adults. And everyone says, man, my mom, bro, man, my dad, man. And I had to learn this. And this really healed my relationship um, with my parents. And this was before I even talked to them, but it healed me. I don't have scripture because this person knows forgiveness. They gave it. I had to learn that just because someone's a parent doesn't mean they know how to parent. And I think as kids, we feel like you had me, you made me, so you should know how to take care of me, you should know how to treat me right, you should know how to love me, you should know when I need you. And the reality is that's not always true. Um, sometimes we have kids and we're not ready. Sometimes our kids feel like, hey, you should be ready. And sometimes we just can't take it. And I've learned that once the children are able to understand that, hey, maybe my parent just really didn't know how. Maybe they didn't have a good example. You know, maybe there was no mother in the home or no father. There wasn't that example of what a good parent should be. Um, it helps with our healing. Um, it helps us to be able to pray for them. It helps us to forgive them because we understand now that, hey, you know what? It may not be that my parent didn't love me. I truly believe all parents love their children, even if they're not the best parents. Um, but what happens is if they don't know how, they may walk away or they may treat you wrong. They may say something disrespectful to you. They may hurt you. Um, 
And us as believers now knowing that they just maybe didn't know everything or they didn't get everything, now we can offer that to God and pray for them for them to learn how. Um, and it's, it's a daily struggle, and it's a lifelong struggle. But that's what I would take from that. Just know that whoever your, your, your father, whoever this is, um, maybe your father just wasn't ready or didn't know. And it's great that you forgave them and just keep praying for them and for God to heal your relationship. That's good. Yeah, great, great insight. Um, Heather, I want to turn a corner here okay. and get to some practical questions that have come in. So this may be a little, little more rapid fire, but... Um, one that we get all the time, you, you deal with this all the time, and it's kids' activities. Uh, so here's the question. How do we best balance the pressure of our kids' activity schedule with involvement at church? And Heather, the, the specific question that came in was was specifically related, no surprise, to hockey. Oh, uh, state and of in hockey. the hockey season, <laughs> uh, just it's hard to get to church. Um, what do you say to yeah. those parents? Yeah, this is a tough one, and, a, and it's a complicated one, mm-hmm. and it starts so young. Mm-hmm. So... I've been doing this almost 30 years now. And what I used to see is that a kid could play multiple sports into early high school. And it was so fun to see them engage in different ways. And the shift that I've seen is that right around fifth or sixth grade, families are forced and pressured into finding at least one primary sport. And they're told if you don't play this in the off season, in the travel season, you know, you're just not going to have a future. And that's so tough. And I, 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 as much as I can, as a non-parent, I understand the pressure that the parents are feeling. Um, Christian Smith is a sociologist and an author and did a ton of research with kids and their parents. He interviewed 2,000 teenagers and parents. And what he found is that um, parents' primary goal, what they long for every day, is for their kid to have fun and to not experience pain when it comes down to Mm. it, to have fun and to not experience pain. And I I can't imagine as a parent how hard it is to see your kid go through pain, but I think we all know that pain is part of life and there are definitely parts of life that aren't fun. And I also believe that the parent who's asking this question not only cares about hockey, but also wants their kid to be walking in faith with the Lord. So what I do um, is I boldly ask parents to fight for God. I try to not sound dramatic, but I usually do. But, you know, fight for God when it comes to activities, because what I typically see is that they bend to the pressure of the coaches, never asking for an exception, but they often ask me for an exception concerning the activity. So can I bring my daughter late to the event because she has a dance? Could I pick my son up early because he's got tryouts, but they never ask the coach. And I would hope that coaches are not only reasonable, but they want their athletes to be well-rounded. They want them to be grounded human beings. So rather than your kid missing an entire week of summer camp because of two days of tryouts, could you approach that coach and say, hey, could my kid do all of his tryouts on that one day? And I'll go up and get him from camp and bring him back. But then rather than just dismissing the entire experience, because here's the hard truth. Your child's probably not going to be an Olympic athlete, right? Research says that less than 2% of college athletes go on to be pros, but I would hope that they're going to be a God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christian for the rest of their life. And that demands investment 
as much as hockey, if not a little bit more. Yeah, I love the challenge, Heather. That's good. Okay. No, okay. we need all right, it. All right. I mean, I, you know, we're, we're in baseball and hockey season yeah, right know. now, and we, we need that challenge, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, Ken, I want to bring you in here, uh, zooming out a little bit on uh, extended family relationships. So a uh, question came in about how can I spiritually guide, and this, this was specific to a niece and a nephew from a distance. So this is a situation where uh, someone's saying, I, I have a nephew who's going into middle school, and uh, their, their parents aren't having them engaged with their faith. What do I do? And specifically, what do I do with middle school boys? I've never had middle school boys. Uh, but, but, and I know this is specific to that situation, but I would say uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of grandparents who are asking similar questions. Hey, what do I do with my grandkids? Uh, I want them to be involved in the church. You know, my kids, you know, their, their parents aren't involving them. How do I step into that relationship? So what do you say to extended family members? That's such a great question. And, and to those grandparents and aunts and uncles who really care about their nieces, nephews, grandchildren, I would just say God really wants to honor your heart. And so give the Lord your heart for that child. Uh, just offer that child to the Lord in prayer every single day. So you might not have a physical um, opportunity to be with that child every day. Maybe they're nearby or their schedules are busy, like in hockey or whatever. But every single day, you still can pray for that child. So uh, one of the things I often recommend, Kyle, is that um, we pray through Psalm 139 with the child's name inserted in there. So Psalm 139 starts, um, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know everything about me. And we often pray that psalm in, in kind of a personal, selfish way, which is fine, absolutely fine, we should. But what if we inserted the name of a next-generation person into that psalm every single day and prayed for them? So uh, somebody on the panel, give me a name of somebody you I've care got about. four Henrys currently okay, in my let's, seventh. Let's choose yeah. four Henrys. Henry. Let's choose Henry. Okay. So, <laughs> Lord, um, you have examined Henry, and you know everything about him. Yeah. And then just carry that on through the psalm. Henry is wonder fearfully and wonderfully made. He, there's nowhere he can go to get away from, from you, Lord. Yeah. And, and pray through that psalm with Henry in mind and do that every single day. Yeah. The Lord will honor that. Yeah. And then I would say the next thing you need to do is just take practical opportunities to, um, to reach out, to, to be present, to let that person know that there is somebody who loves Jesus and who loves them, and, and you'll always be there for them. So, But before I get real practical on that, I would love to hand this off to a nationwide expert in middle school <laughs> ministry that we have here on this panel. That's right. yeah, yeah, if yeah. I could, I just want yeah. to tag team it to Heather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Heather, what do we need uh, to know sweet, about middle school sweet. boys? Well, yeah. let me be honest that middle school boys are probably my favorite category of people in the universe. Right. Like, I, God has given me a supernatural love for them, and I just love it. Here's what I know. Henry wants to be known, he wants to be seen, and he wants to be understood. Mm -hmm. So as an aunt, as a grandparent, as a neighbor, um, if you can show up in his life yeah. to show him that you care and you see him, whether that's at his hockey game or choir concert or walking his dog with him, whatever it is, to show that consistently is huge. Over the long term. Over the long Over term, the long yeah, term. and not yeah. just during those years. Yeah. But And then I love conversation with middle school boys. It can often feel a little chaotic or disjointed, but they do love to talk. They just love to talk around activity. So I don't, I rarely go to like Famous Dave's or Dairy Queen with a kid and sit and 
and talk for an hour. We're often playing pool. We're playing disc golf. We're doing something that's active where we can talk at the same time. But let him know that you're a safe place for him and that if there's ever anything he wants to talk about, you would love to talk about that with him and just keep that door open. Because what I find is when there's something to talk about, he'll come to you. Mm. Um, and then just the other side note is humor. Middle school boys love humor. And so if you can't laugh at yourself, if you can't laugh at the world, then you're going to have a little bit of trouble. But you've got to be able to have some good humor. And I wish I could tell you seven jokes that middle school boys have told me, but I'll <laughs> stop there. <laughs> well, that humor, is, that humor is probably true for, for all of us. Hey, Kyle, I, I, Kyle yeah, go if ahead. I could just interject here. Um, so I think something that really works well, too, is what I do with a lot of the young boys is I tell them, download the Bible app to your phone. And then on the Bible app, is it, my kids do this every day. They say, Dad, it's God time. Where's our God stuff? And they know it's the kid's Bible experience on the Holy Bible app. And then with the older kids, I say, hey, the, you know, short attention span. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Especially middle school boys. So I say, hey, look, download the Bible app, and there's this thing called Your Story. Your story is less than five minutes. You're going to get a good speaker on there who's going to talk for a minute, two minutes about the Bible, explain the scripture. And I tell them, just do that every day. And it's less than five minutes. And then I, hey, what was the, what was your story about today? So in the age of technology, almost all of these kids have phones. That's the way I reach a lot of the kids I know I can't see every day mm. or I may not see for a couple weeks. Is Did you do your story today? What was it about? All right, cool. Any questions? Um, yeah, well, what, what does this actually mean? And now we're able to start talking about God, but it's in a way that they're going to look at this thing every day anyways, and it really works. Yeah. That's Great good. Idea. That's yep. good. Uh, so I want to stick with the extended family theme, so, and I'm just going to come just to you for this question. Um, what about extended family members who don't align with our Christian values? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, some questions came in about, hey, what do I do when when they want to, they, they're going to come stay with me and, you know, maybe that there's some dynamics there in the family that, that uh, we don't align with, or they and, you know want me to be part of, of some things that they're doing, uh, celebrations or certain, you know, life moments. And how do we engage with some of these conversations with people of our extended family? Yeah. So actually when we're talking about Christians and non-Christians, the Bible gives us some important information. And I don't know how often we talk about this verse, but in first Corinthians five uh, verses 12 and 13, Paul actually does call Christians to judge those in the church. I know that sounds crazy, yeah, wow. but if a Christian has committed to following Jesus, we're called to hold them accountable and to call out their sin. But the goal is always for restoration and return. So we need to do it in love. And so admonish is probably a, a, a good word yeah. to talk about. And then Paul says that God judges the outsiders, meaning those who are not following Christ. So uh, let's take the example of premarital sex. If both or even one of the people in the relationship is a Christian, we are called as Christians to exhort them to God's design for sex within a faithful heterosexual marriage. If one or both in the couple are non-Christians, we can certainly make our beliefs known to them, but we can't hold them yeah. to the same standard. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul says God deals with them. So I have at times chosen not to confront a, a non-Christian couple about premarital sex because in reality, it's not my job. It's God's. And I've been able to keep my, that friend in my life and continue to be a witness for Christ and share my faith. So... 
As for the question in the situation, or the situation in the question, uh, if the couple is staying in your home, I think you have the freedom to talk to them and tell them how you feel, and hopefully that can be a respectful discussion. Uh, as for attending certain celebrations or inviting people over that don't share your same beliefs, uh, simply attending something or inviting them over doesn't automatically mean you condone their behavior. Uh, if you communicate your beliefs to somebody uh, in your life about what you disagree with with them, they won't doubt what you believe if they communicate it, if you communicate it to them, but they might doubt if you still love them in spite of that belief. So you can still love someone and not agree with their behavior. Yeah. We can take a great example from Jesus who ate with sinners. He didn't that's condone right. or that's participate right. in their yeah. sin. Instead, he communicated his love for them. Yeah, that's so good, Anna. I, I, I'm hearing, you know, maintain the relationship. Right, maintain the relationship with that person to be a person of influence for them. But if they're in the family of God, yeah. it's a different it's conversation. A different story. Yeah, yeah, which is which is great, right? I mean, we're supposed yeah. to have family conversations with those uh, in our family. All right, Ken, uh, we have time for one more question, okay. and this is one that has come up so often. I'm hearing this from parents all the time right now, actually grandparents as well, mm -hmm. um, and it's related to how to engage when our kids are in school environments that maybe run counter to our Christian faith. So here's a question. What involvement should I have with my kids' school when they teach what is counter to our faith? Wow. Yeah, and I'm hearing this all the time, too. In the last six months at Wooddale, I have heard this many times. First Peter 2 says that we are, as a family of God, we are a royal priesthood, and that we're called to share the goodness of God with the world, that we're to be a light in the darkness, and so, yeah, I think we need to be involved in our local school systems, in our city councils, in our neighborhood districts. We need to be speaking out and advocating for what God says is good. So we are, we are informal missionaries is a really cool term that Tim Keller has mm -hmm. used in every setting of our life. Um, some parents are wondering and grandparents are wondering about what schools should I choose? How should I educate my children? And so there's, there are increasing debates about homeschooling and private education, private Christian education, public schools. And I would just say, again, the same principle applies, that we are to be informal missionaries in everything we do. Yeah. So you can choose uh, private education, homeschooling. Uh, that's great. There's a lot of benefits for that. Um, your children will get a rigorous education. They'll be surrounded usually by really good peers and really good mentors mm -hmm. who are trying to influence them. And a Christian education will give a uh, groundedness in faithfulness in God. I think the fear is to remove children too far from the world that they can't share the goodness of God with the rest of the world. So how do you, how do the parents' challenge in that is to develop a resiliency of faith in their child, that their child has the boldness and courage to step into the world. Yeah as an example of Jesus. You could choose a public education as well, and there are a lot of benefits to that. There's, they learn how to love their neighbors because yeah. they're with their neighbors. They um, are, are introduced to a lot of subjects and topics, a wide array of things. Um, they can have extracurricular activities and sports and music and all kinds of things. Um, some parents, and let's just be honest, some parents have to choose public education yeah. because they can't afford yeah. private education. Right or they can't afford the time of homeschool. 
Uh, some parents have to choose public education because their child has special needs yeah. or mental health scenarios, and they need the adaptive learning techniques that public schools offer. Yeah. So uh, there's nothing bad about it, and it, and there could be a lot of pluses. Again, the fear is that they'll be surrounded in an environment that doesn't encourage them to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so a parent's challenge is to develop this, the same challenge to develop spiritual resilient resiliency in their child so that they can represent the goodness of God in their setting. Yep. So that's our calling, all of us, yeah. mm -hmm. to be spiritually resilient in the setting that we're in. And it's up to parents and families to decide what's going to be best. Yeah, that's good. And I, and I would just add to that, Ken, that uh, that whole idea of how do we continue to develop spiritually res resiliency and, and how do we live for God in a godless environment mm -hmm. is the entire theme of our brand new series, which kicks off next weekend. Uh, it's called Food Trucks in Babylon. Uh, fun, fun name. We'll explain why next weekend. But we're actually going to look at an example from scripture of a teenage boy uh, who shows us how we can navigate a godless environment. And I think it's going to give a lot of real practical help and hope for, for those of us who find ourselves, uh, really all of us, finding ourselves in, in those different environments. Yeah. So uh, thank you to the, this panel. This has been awesome. So fun. Uh, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, this is a set for Family Matters. Somebody asked me this last week if this was my living room. Uh, and it's my living room's not so wonderfully decorated. Yeah, that's right. No. Uh, but but a great throwback. So well well done to our creative team for helping to put all this together. And thanks thanks to you for the panel. Uh, grateful to be part of this. As as we just put a bow in this whole series and wrap up this whole idea uh, of family matters, I just want to speak to uh, to each family that's out there, uh, whatever your situation and whatever your circumstance. Uh, listen, I, I know at times family matters can be difficult, and, and I want to encourage you with this: that no matter how difficult your family relationship may be. No matter how long it's been, how distant you have grown, how impossible you think the situation may be, don't ever give up hope. Because Lamentations tells us that our God's mercies are new every morning. We have a God of new day starts, so your family can have a new day start. God is faithful, and he will be faithful to you. So keep being faithful to your family and keep being faithful to him. That's what it means for us to be all about our own family matters because God's family does indeed matter. Thanks for joining us for the series, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at our next series.